Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, I have a love-hate relationship with Halloween. How do you feel about Halloween? Are you a fan? Um, I don't know. I guess I feel like I'm better and I enjoy Halloween more, but it's, for me, it's a kid's holiday. So I hate the adultness of that Halloween has turned into. So I'm sad that now that you're sober, that our kids' Halloween's um, what's the word? Like, you know, they're growing up and growing out of it, so. Which would be sad anyway, but definitely even sadder that since we, I, destroyed so many of them with alcohol. Well, we'll get, we'll get into all of that. I'm glad you mentioned that it's a kid's holiday because my love-hate relationship with Halloween goes back <laughs> to childhood. Oh, is it going to be your sad costume story? I, I can't not, I can't talk about Halloween and not talk about my skeleton costume when I was like seven. It was the coolest skeleton. I mean, it wasn't the coolest. It was just a Kmart, you know, plastic costume with the plastic mask with the elastic. But it was, it was like tight like it's supposed to, so you could see the bones. And you were a skinny kid, so that was probably even more hilarious because... I loved that costume. That was my favorite costume, and it was really cold that Halloween, and my mother made me wear a winter coat over my skeleton costume, and I was like, Mom, what's the point of even wearing the costume if I've got this stupid coat on over it? And like, it was so too tight for me to fit the coat on, or even like a sweatshirt or two under it. So Not even long johns? I, I, my recollection is a little faded all i know is i argued and argued and argued and i lost and i sulked around the neighborhood with a winter coat on over a cool costume and i don't i don't i don't remember if people asked what are you supposed to be i mean i still had the mask but i was mad so mad so mad and so that was my first i guess hate portion of the love hate relationship with halloween there was also the Halloween when I was a teenager when my buddy and I, he lived on a cul-de-sac and I spent the night at his house and we soaped every house <laughs> uh, and toilet paper at every house on the street of the cul-de-sac except for his. And it didn't occur to us that that was going to be an obvious, you know, just like a spotlight over his house pointing to who, who did it. so dumb. <laughs> You were so dumb. Yeah. So we spent a couple of days cleaning toilet paper out of trees after that. That was that was pretty bad. So I was on the... You're probably wondering about the love part of Halloween. Well, here's later in my teenage years, my friends and I... This is... Speaking of dumb, we, we got... I remember when Black & Decker came out with these spotlighter flashlights that you, they were like rechargeable. It was like one of the first rechargeable okay, can appliances. We a, can we put an advisory warning? Like, do not try this. Do not try do this. Do not try this. I can't imagine there are any teenagers that are interested in our podcast, but if you're a teenager and you're listening to this, do not try this, absolutely. So the Black & Decker super spot, super lighty spotlight, super bright, uh, we took that and we, the neighborhood I lived in, next to the road, all, most roads, there was a little drainage ditch for the water runoff and we would lay down in the drainage ditch and then when cars would come at us, we would pop up at the last second and shine the spotlight flashlight in the driver's eyes. Now, think about the geometry of this. The car is coming we at so us. so dumb. I'm surprised you survived. I can't believe we survived either. Because it was a blinding flashlight. Like, the only reason we did this was because we had this new super powerful flashlight. And, uh, and yeah, the, no, no cars ran off the road into the ditch and killed Amazingly. us. Amazingly. Amazingly. And it, that, I don't think, ever occurred to us. We were just afraid of getting chased, you know, which we, we were afraid of getting chased, but we were also Hoping. encouraging people to chase us. And we did actually accidentally spotlight a cop once, but we got away. We just ran. So that was that was another Halloween uh, 
adventure. But that one, you know, that one didn't end badly because it wasn't until year, years later that I realized how stupid that was. So that was actually a love on the love side of the love-hate relationship with Halloween. I think I figured out where your love for Halloween has come in. Where's that? The pumpkin carving. Yeah? Yeah. You, early on in our relationship, it was like a contest. You were You were kind of competitive about who could have the best pumpkin and the best pumpkin carved and... You do it without drawing, and you just use a, you know, a steak knife. You. Well, what other tool would you use? <laughs> oh, you make fun. The, the that carving we had... kit <laughs> tools <laughs> that you buy at Kmart. Really, prom- this episode <laughs> of the Intoxicated Podcast brought to you by <laughs> Kmart, which I don't think exists anymore. They do does not. It? Oh, bye bye, Kmart. Uh, yeah. You didn't buy enough. We didn't carving buy enough. Tools. I yeah, but there are, there are some little. Well, I definitely enjoyed carving this year. There were years in the middle. Where the pumpkin carving was just kind of getting in the way of my beer drinking and sulking, and I was not enjoying it. I I imagine you're right. Before we had kids, yeah, um, you were pretty competitive it. in, and I like it carving. again. I had a super fun time carving this year. This year yeah. we, it was raining the evening we planned to carve pumpkins, so we had to do it on our covered front porch. But we had spooky music and. Nobody could see anything, and we're all out Candles, there with sharp knives. Sharp knives, yeah. And not, so you've great. kind of reverted back to your dangerous ways of yes. teenage years. If only I had a spotlight or flashlight, <laughs> I could have hit cars as they drove by our house. <laughs> with a, with a I was thinking you would spotlight the kids as they were blinded for a while with a knife in their hand on a small porch. Well, it is funny. You know, when when I was drinking... There was so much paranoia that just kind of existed in me. And there still is some paranoia, but it's better. But I would have really... And I thought about this when we were carving pumpkins in the dark. I thought I would not have been able to do this when I was drinking because I would have been so afraid of one of the kids gashing themselves open with a steak knife, the carving tool of choice, (laughs) in the dark. Now, our, our kids are older, teenagers. Well, our youngest is almost a teenager, but... It was still, um, you know, a calm experience for me. I don't know why. Because when I was drinking, I definitely, I mean, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have handled it well. You know, there's the, I, I would have just been a paranoid, drunk mess. Like, you're, you're, you're going too fast with your steak knife. Slow down or whatever. It, it would not have been comfortable for me. Yeah. But I, did, I don't know. I was, I was calmer this time. I think the paranoia has moved away. So I want to talk about my last teenage Halloween. Uh, oh, you have another? Yes. Ridiculous. I big time love-hate relationship. Well, this one, I was old enough that we weren't trick-or-treating. We were just out like terrorizing the younger kids and probably soaping houses and toilet papering and just whatever we could get away with. You know, like teenagers dressed all in black mm-hmm. trying to, you know, create mischief in the night and... There ended up being a little bit of a bottle rocket war, and I got hit in the head with a bottle rocket, and it actually knocked me out cold. I was out for some period of time. How big is that rattle bo- bottle rocket to knock you? Well, right in the temple, out. you know, just good. I don't know. I wasn't out for a long time, but I was out for long enough that my friends were all gone. I, I ran with a nice crowd. Well, with the activities that <laughs> yeah. I'm participating in, I'm sure you can imagine. They left you just to... I'd like to believe that they just didn't know where I had dropped and I was wearing all black and probably, and it was dark and it wasn't, I'd like to believe that they just couldn't find me, but maybe they were just like, oh, well, he's down. And then they left. But anyway, I came to and no one was around and that was a bummer of a Halloween. That was definitely on the the hate side of the love-hate relationship. Before cell phones, you could not text them and find out where they were. Way before cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. But so this was all pre-alcohol. So uh, whether it was a good Halloween or a bad Halloween, Halloween played a, I don't know, fairly significant role in my life, even as a kid. And so when I turned into an adult, I still wanted Halloween to be a big deal. And I remember, and I'm curious about your thoughts about when we lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for a short period of time, and our oldest, who is now in college, was just a baby. We had next-door neighbors. 
that the the wife of the next door neighbor family was a was a big drinker like I was. Her husband was a pediatrician. He was on call a lot. So I think he was a big drinker too. Just he didn't always drink with us. But I remember that first Halloween, I remember being just so excited to come home. It was a, it was a weeknight, come home from work and and be able to... No, you're shaking your head. You were gone. You were traveling. I was alone that night on that. We were only there one Halloween. Oh, really? Well, because I think that we didn't move in until October and we had like maybe maybe that very first yeah i remember like just sitting on the steps out front and they were maybe sitting you on were their there steps the first one and... the second one but we were like no furniture in the house that first october yeah well i wouldn't have needed furniture to find the vodka bottle mm-hmm. and i was just so excited to have my cocktails and wait for the kids to come around and it was you know just a really soothing experience for me because I I could just drink all I wanted and even though it was a weeknight I just felt that's that's the thing Halloween does for a lot of drinkers it gives us permission to drink you know with without limits because it's a holiday woohoo you don't seem to have very strong memories of that one well I'm just trying to think of the timeline because I remember I have strong memories of the Halloween that I remember being with Catherine you were traveling somebody walked off with our whole bowl of candy and I had to chase him down the street did you have a note the baby that said take one or something yeah because I was feeding the baby yeah. inside the kitchen and it was an adult by the way an adult that's why I can't stand the adults out trick-or-treating but I then our neighbor Jen came over and I threw the baby to Jen because we were right next door to each other. And I'm like, I'm going to go chase down this person because it's a nice bowl and it's all my candy. Um, you know, many people, myself included, would have been like, oh, my candy's gone and turned off the front porch light and been done with it. But you chased the person down. You're also the person that when somebody uh, knocked your rearview mirror off when you were parallel parked, you pulled out of that parking spot and chased them around Denver. For a while, so. Well, you have to be accountable for your actions. I guess, I guess so. If you so. damage and take my stuff, you have to answer to it. But what I remember was maybe maybe I'm blocking out that first Halloween because of your inebriation. Mm. And that, that probably the party continued after the kids went to bed. The You know, the babies went to bed. And maybe I'm blocking it out and I was thankful that you were traveling that other mm. Halloween so, as is the case often with alcohol, you know, it's alcoholism is a progressive disease. I was not, I would not label myself an alcoholic at the time that we're talking about with just one young baby and you and I were, had only been married for a couple of years, a few years, um, but it gets worse. So, from there, um, it, you know, we definitely progressed to, to points where uh, things were not as peaceful, drunk, but peaceful. The One of the worst Halloweens we had was once we had moved here to Denver. And I, it, that was a Saturday Halloween. I remember that specifically. <coughs> and I had uh, this bright idea that we would have the neighbors from across the street, their young kids, over to make graveyard pudding with our young kids, which... I don't remember. I think I, I think that was a magazine recipe that I saw. I used to really like you. Martha Stewart, but I think Stewart. that was from our one of our favorite employees, Jamie. Hmm. Made it and brought it. Perhaps. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, so I was going to be, you know, basically... You were going to be Mr. Martha Stewart? Gonna, well, I was going to get dad brownie points, I figured. I think you had some things you needed to do on Saturday, and I was going to basically suck up by having all the kids, so... So that the the neighbor across the street could have some free time too, and have all the kids and make graveyard pudding, which was pudding with uh, what were the Milano Milano cookies for mm-hmm. tombstones for tombstones, crushed Oreo and whipped cream, or yeah, crushed Oreos for, for dirt. dirt. So you make it in like a casserole dish, but so the the neighbors the kids came over and their dad came with them, which was a total surprise to me. And so I think it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. I don't even think it was afternoon yet. But the neighbor and I decided, well, while the kids are making graveyard pudding, we should have some beers. And this particular neighbor, he he is not, I don't believe, a problematic drinker. 
Um, they've since moved and we've lost touch. But when it was time to drink, he could drink like none of, he could drink faster than me and more than me. And he's a little bigger than me, he's so bigger. he could hold it better. Ooh, yeah. He's Canadian, so he's been doing it since he was four. <laughs> Well, you're getting all the Canadians upset. We so we drank a lot, um, a lot. I just remember IPAs. My we had I had lots of my favorite IPAs in stock, and we drank those until we were uh, beyond buzzed. And then, uh, then we went out trick or treating, and this is when it gets bad. It was still daylight. It was like late afternoon when our kids were young. And so that was fine. And we went to a street here in Denver that it's it's a street of retailers, small independent retailers. And they do like a trick-or-treat street thing where the kids are supposed to make a loop. They go down one side of the street. It's just one block. They go down one side of the street, cross over, and go down the other side of the street. And each of the merchants is out front with candy to hand out. And so it's like a public relations thing like, hey, mm-hmm. we give your kids candy, so come shop here other times of the year. Mm-hmm. They used to have like little bouncy castles and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Each Remember, end of the yeah, street. yeah. There used to be more kid-friendly activity. Yeah, it, it eventually. This is not related to the story, but it eventually turned into a beer fest. Yeah, there's two beer gardens, and uh, yeah, and so I'm pissed. Yeah, they okay. completely de-kitted it. I mean, kids are still welcome, but all, but the, the parents are just parents inebriated are just drinking and in the street. The, yeah, they're just inebriated drinking in the street. Which they always were, but it was always like was in coffee cups. But yeah. now they're just now they're walking around with their clear cups full of beer and yeah. cans of beer, and then the kids are contained inside because the street is blocked off, and barricaded, and they just hope that people watch out for their kids. Yeah, they're the, you know. Yeah, that's that's definitely society's progression with alcohol. Mm-hmm. But my particular progression with alcohol. I mean, I was lit up when we got there. And so in addition to, you know, shops like boutiques, there are, what, half a dozen restaurants on that street? Yeah. On that one block. That's a lot of restaurants for one block. And the, the one that was my favorite, we, I went in there, to, literally went in there to go to the bathroom. And that same neighbor that I had made graveyard pudding with, he and his family had had shown up and he was he walked into that same bar I think to go to the bathroom as well and we said oh you know let's have one more and so we thought we would guzzle a beer at the bar and our wives would never notice while we were supposed to be in there for the bathroom and then did what did we decide to have more than one or something what happened I don't know I just know that you didn't I knew that the bathroom could potentially be busy because they were a good establishment and let you go in and use the bathroom um but uh I don't know if if it was how many you had. I mean, you of course you told me you only had one. Yeah, and there was an excuse about a really long line to the bathroom. Well, but tell when me I how. In, but it was a tell it everyone was a how while. I told you this was. You didn't get mad in public often, but you were fuming mad, and you were pregnant, correct? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was pregnant, and I had had. Um. Let's see, how long ago was that? Well, I mean, the, the, the ages of the kids, yeah. So, you know, there were... I think you had like, two kids, and you had a third one in your belly. Yeah, was so I didn't know if I was pregnant with Andrew, if that was Joey. Yeah. So, I, no, I was very pregnant, because I was Joey, because he was born in December. So, yeah. and it was very crowded. Yeah. And it was a nice, warm day, and the kids were really fast, and I couldn't get through very quickly to keep up with the kids. So the pregnant lady can't get through the crowd to, to stay up with her kids. Yeah. And and her husband's supposed to and, be helping. Yeah. So then we're, we do, basically we do one side of the street and you're still not back. So I had to pull the kids out of our little, you know, line. It seemed a little more organized. I'm sure it was more just, you know, a mess. But then, you know, I had to pull them and go look for you. And... So I went to one bar, and you weren't in that one. And then I went over to the other one. It's funny that I you didn't say. go to any of the dress shops or the yeah. the little knickknack stores. Exactly. You went to the bars to look for me. Weird. Yeah, yeah. So I walk in, and you and our neighbor are just you know posted up at the bar and having a good time. And you were like shocked that I was upset. Yeah, it's only one. 
And like we've done one side of the street. Yeah, that was one to add to the probably, gosh, I bet we were close to a dozen each at the house. Or eight or nine anyway. Uh, IPAs too, nice strong beers. So yeah, I remember you being publicly mad. And then that, so then that, one of the things that happens with a drunk person is your mood can shift. And then when your mood shifts, it just stays in the new place that it goes to. So you got mad at me. So of course, what was my reaction? Mm -hmm. I got mad at you. So I stayed that way, I think, pretty much for the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the night was awful. We went back same to, with the same neighbors. We They had cooked and a we, big pot yeah, of chili. We, chili. we went to their house for chili and I couldn't keep my head out of the bowl. I was trying to pass out in my chili. And obnoxious to the point where the neighbor's wife, who had seen me drunk on a number of occasions, but not that drunk. I mean, she was pretty fed up with me, too. Yeah, and, and I don't and think her husband her husband, was, yeah. he, he, hand, he handled it better. Yeah. He, he wasn't as outwardly obnoxious as I was. But so that was a really bad night. Mm-hmm. Did Did... After we had our chili and it was dark, did you trick-or-treat more with the kids in our neighborhood, or did I go with yeah, you? I, you were acting like you were going to, but you came and you just passed out. Which must have been a blessing for you. Yeah. So the reason that we're talking... So this is... We're recording this right before Halloween. This is going to get published right after Halloween. And the reason for the timing, it's, it's very intentional that we published this after Halloween versus before. You know... One of the things, for a long time, I thought that my love-hate relationship with Halloween was unique. I thought that it is a kid's holiday, and the fact that I'm still all about it, it makes me somewhat rare. But what we've learned for the years now we've been working in the recovery community is this is a very treacherous time of year for people that drink too much. Whether it's Halloween specifically that day or just the fall, the days are getting shorter, it's getting colder. Uh, I don't know. There's some connection with the beginning of football season, which I can't put my finger on and understand. Maybe just football signals you can drink all day Sunday without... Well, all they do is advertise chips. All they do is advertise and beer. chips and beer, true. Beer, 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 beer. Yeah, but this is a really treacherous time of year. So the reason... We're releasing a Halloween discussion right after Halloween is because we really believe that there'll be a lot of our regular listeners that will have had traumatic Halloween experiences. Halloween this year is on a, on Sunday. So then you got two nights to throw your Halloween parties. Well, in. three, right? Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. and Sunday. And then, yeah. you know, people, if they're at all like me, will be drinking away their Sunday while the dread starts to creep in for the fact that they got to go to work in the morning. And so that that dread drinking turns into depressed drinking. So like we talked about, that mood will shift and it'll stay that way. So mm-hmm. you'll get cranky and you'll be cranky and drunk. And who knows what really wonderful surprises you'll drop on your family when you're cranky and drunk. So we just, we talked about what we wanted this episode to be about. And we, we even though it seems like we're talking about Halloween right after Halloween, which we are, if, if you're listening to this as it, as it is released, we still think it's timely because there's probably a lot of people that can really resonate with the experiences we're going to share. We just want you to know you're not alone. And you're, you're not only not alone because you might share something in common with Sherry and I, you're not alone because lots and lots of people um, have really traumatic, awful, alcohol-induced Halloween experiences. So that's the reason for the timing. Let's let's keep going. The um, there was one Halloween when um, oh for, let me let me talk about this one first. There were many Halloweens where our oldest, who like I said, is now in college, as she was in probably middle school, mm-hmm. we had a, a friend, a good 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 friend that her their. Um, their son was the same age as our daughter. So we got to know them through sports and just going to school together. Mm-hmm. They lived very close to the street that we were just describing that started out as just trick-or-treating 
at the shops for kids and then turned into a beer garden beer fest thing. But they lived very close to that. So they would invite friends over to pre-party before going to the Halloween trick-or-treating on that street and then just In the night, dispersing yeah. into the night. So it was a it was a daylight, like end of daylight, four o'clock or something. Yeah, it started pretty Start early. time and they would get pizza for the kids and everyone was supposed to bring something to drink to share. Mm-hmm. And it would it would only last maybe an hour, hour and a half, and then everyone would disperse. It was designated as a pre-party, and that's and, pretty much what happened. And you, as parents, you could stay there as the kids got older and they wanted to go on their own because yeah. they were in middle school. And it was just in the neighborhood, you know, so some parents stayed there and hung out. You and I would maybe take, you know, I think that you and I split up because we had younger kids than some of our friends at that point. So we walked with the younger kids in the neighborhood, but then we went back to this house. So it was kind of like a, you know, just a, a safe location that was close by so the kids could go further out into the neighborhood because that neighborhood gets hit pretty often. I remember you, you know, taking the youngest for a couple streets. I just remember and then coming back. I just remember that it was billed as, you know, hey, before we take our kids out to trick or treat, we're going to need some some adult juice to tolerate the challenges of trick-or-treating. Like it was billed as let's get half drunk because it's going to be stressful to do trick-or-treating. And I never thought of trick-or-treating as stressful. I I liked watching the kids trick-or-treat, but I was all about the, oh yeah, let's get half drunk first part. And I remember being there multiple years and having conversations with people and noticing that nobody was drinking at my pace. Everyone was just kind of sipping their beer. And I was like, hey, didn't you guys read the invite? We're supposed to get half drunk before we take our kids around. <laughs> and so I was, you know, it was one of these where you'd bring a six pack and contribute it to the cooler. And then, every, you know, the cooler was uh, just a plethora of options. And I would always bill it as, oh, I haven't tried this one yet. I haven't tried. And I'd, I'd put down five or six beers and that hour we were there mm-hmm. just because I was, and oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't tried this one. I have to, I can't be rude and not try this variety. Mm-hmm. So I remember having conscious thoughts about, I know I'm drinking at three times the pace of everybody else. And normally in a social setting, that would have been enough to slow me down that, or, or sneak one somehow, or like refill when no one was looking or something like that. But so my armament for excuse that, in that situation was, well, I haven't tried this one yet. I've got to try this one. I can't be rude. Do you, I mean, what was that situation like for you? It was, there were enough people there that we, we pretty much split up when we got there. So you didn't have to pay attention to my obnoxiousness. I just kind of stopped watching. I had had years of practice of like, like it was almost probably like self-preservation. Like I just know what he's going to be like at the end of the night. I don't need to know how many he's drank. Because I know how it's going to end. So if I don't see it, then I'm not going to get mad throughout the evening. Really? So you would avoid me kind of on purpose? Yeah. 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 So another one that I specifically remember, kids are getting older, but I think they're still all going around. I don't think our daughter has aged out yet. Maybe she did. Um, But we were in our neighborhood very close to our house. And everything had gone fine. I had been sticking to just beer, certainly plenty of beer, but just beer. And, you know, every once in a while I'd come back to the house to to pee and refill my, my travel coffee mug with beer. And everything was good. And then we trick-or-treated down at a friend's house. Again, friends that we had kids similar ages. That's how we had met them. And they invited us in. They were having a little... Halloween party and they invited us in and they had all the top shelf booze out. Mm, they had a the fire pit going. Yep. And in my half drunk semi-consciousness, I made the brilliant decision that I would switch to drinking whiskey and, you know, poured some whiskey on top of my half a dozen or so beers that I had already had. And it was kind of lights out from there. I, I remember that I tripped going down their front steps and ripped my jeans holding our youngest yeah he was like two and i'm the, i'm the kind of person that uh i have a very limited wardrobe if i have a pair of jeans i'm like i have i'm good i got jeans why would i need more than one pair of jeans 
I'm both frugal and I hate shopping and I'm finicky. You're not frugal, you're cheap. But yes, you hate shopping. So I ripped my... Good pair of pants. My good, my only pair of pants. Your good jeans. My jeans. Yeah. And it's funny that I remember the ripping of the jeans and that being traumatic. And you remember that I had our two-year-old in my arms. Yeah. That just tells you a little so bit about... sleepy and wanted to go home, but you had to, we had to stay out later. Yeah. You know. So we weren't staying out for the kids. We weren't staying out for trick-or-treating. Now, they were running around that. this party with other yeah, kids. They ha- yeah. They were having a blast. But we were staying out because I was still drinking. Yeah. And I was fine because it was... I think that was to the point in your drinking where... I wouldn't say I was detaching, like, where I was, and I wasn't not being codependent, but I just learned that I know how the night's going to end. I'm going to enjoy myself while I'm here socializing with the the other ladies and and to an extent the the husband of the household who was slowly sipping his whiskey mm-hmm. and keeping it together while you were chug-a-lugging mm-hmm. all of his stuff but I remember where the bar was set up in that house in mm-hmm. in that it was it was like around a corner Re- yeah. and I could go refill without anyone noticing mm-hmm. and I was like aha this is great so yeah no one's going to notice how many how many of these I've poured mm-hmm. so this is we've reached as we're talking about our halloween history we've reached a point where you know the last 10 years of my drinking was drinking was on and off I recognized that I had a problem. I was sometimes sober for extended periods of time. And I was sometimes just trying to control my drinking. That was my solution to what I knew was a problem. And so we had at least one, but I think two Halloweens during that decade where I was dry on Halloween. And it was excruciating. It was so unbelievably awful. Um, I... I, and, and I want to talk about that in a minute because those sober Halloweens that I had during my active alcoholism when I was back and forth between sobriety and alcoholism, that sober Hall- those sober Halloweens tie in very well with my first actual real sober Halloween uh, that, that in this term of sobriety, my permanent sobriety. So the early sobriety Halloweens are really awful. But before we go there, I want to talk about my final Halloween. And I think it would be best if you, for the most part, took us through because I was blacked out for most of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I don't remember a lot of it. Well, I remember it was on a a Friday because I had our early shift at the bakery. Um, And we had been having car trouble. So you were already pissed about that because it was going to be a very large expense, like a, yeah, was a new transmission. transmission. Thing. And <clears throat> so I had your vehicle. You were going to get the kids off to school like normal, which, you know, that's how Fridays rolled in our house. I went in early and to open the bakery. We had um, had a big cookie order that day that needed to be packaged oh, I up. I forgot about that. Yeah, so we had one of our regular customers, his neighborhood was going to do these this um, neighborhood, you know, uh, not a neighborhood watch, but a neighborhood community. It was a neighborhood organization. Organization, yeah. and they were going to hand out cookies. And our, we had these huge cookies from our bakery. So we had to have all those packaged up. I mean, like 250, 300, something like that. It was a lot. Um, so having the stress, and I'm sure you and I had had tense words the night before about the car, me worrying about money, you worrying about money, and just being pissed. And how that was going to interfere with the weekend of having, you know, um, and having to deal with this on a Friday of Halloween. So, I, you know, I'm at the bakery. I don't know what's really going on. And then, like, you called the bakery to find out what was go- how it was going. And I could tell in your voice. I could tell in your voice that you had been drinking. Like what time in the morning? I want to say probably around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Okay. Because we wanted to make sure the cookies were getting cooled, and we still had bread, and it was Friday, and it was our big production day. So and I had you planned, were one to coming in. You I was going to package the cookies. You were going to come in and package the cookies. You want to know how it was. And I was like, I could tell in your voice, and I remember, I don't even know, do you remember calling? I remember coming in. I don't know. Yeah, I remember I calling. Found. I'm like, just, just, just go. Just stay home. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. Just stay home. Because I was like, I don't want you in here. So what had happened was you what you ro- drove down you started drinking that morning right 
after yeah. the kids went to school. Yeah, and so this was the very medicinal kind of drinking. There was no pretending like I was drinking while I was watching sports or I was drinking while I was grilling out. This was, there were times when I would pour straight vodka, well, on the rocks, vodka on the rocks, and I would drink it in it in an explicitly medicinal way. There was no no kidding around about what I was doing. I felt awful. I wanted to die. I've said this often. I, I never... I was never suicidal, but there were definitely times where the depression and anxiety was so intense that I wanted to die. And that this was one of those mornings. And so I drank I drank some vodka, and then I'm pretty sure I put some in my coffee. Yeah, that was your... Which I did that... Toward the end, I did that on a semi-regular basis. Which is why myself and so many alcoholics end with, you know, the, the last drink of choice before sobriety is vodka because you can mix it with just about anything. Now, I'm not pretending that vodka and coffee taste good, but it's, you can get it down. You couldn't do that with gin, for instance. Yeah. But so I had vodka in my coffee cup and I drove the car to the transmission shop and dropped it off. I had put my bike or one of the kids' bikes in the back of the car and so after I dropped off the car it was, I don't know, three miles from home, I got on the bike to ride home and I remember I stopped on the way home at a breakfast like a brunch restaurant a famous brunch restaurant in Denver that is known on the weekends for their Bloody Marys and on the weekends it has a really long line of people waiting to get in. Like, I think it's, I think you can't make a reservation. You just have to show up and then you have to wait. But the whole front lawn of this place is filled with people drinking Bloody Marys at 1030 on a Saturday morning. It's kind of a Denver tradition. And that was on my, my ride home. I had to go right past it. And I thought, oh, perfect. My coffee and vodka is almost empty. I've already had several straight vodka's on the rocks at the house before I left uh, I, I must be due for another one so I stopped into that restaurant and had I think two Bloody Marys so all of this is before noon I mean I mm-hmm. was lit up and that, that's probably about the time you called too you yeah. know just checking in because you would often do that like you were like you know checking in because you wanted to put on the appearance of oh Matt Matt is in touch with what's going on you used to do that a lot with the, you know, with the employees at the bakery. You yeah. Check in. And... I mean, it was partially appearance. It was partially the paranoia that I talked about yeah, earlier. Yeah, could be. I mean, I was, I lived in paranoia. That's part of the anxiety. Yeah. I was always worried that something was going to go wrong at the bakery, you know, at home, just wherever. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that yeah. I called to check in. Yeah, and then you, then you showed up again, like. You showed up. Well, the original plan was for me to package the cookies because you right. had your normal routine of work to do. Right. And nobody was going to work for you while you were packaging cookies. So I felt like that had to be something extra that I did. Yeah. And the, the customer showed up before they were all bagged. And I remember I had you to talk to him. You were just loaded and I was pissed. And even our employee knew you were three sheets to the wind and he yeah. didn't say one word. He could just tell. Yeah. My face. Yeah. Well, and I still... This and is, there was kids to get home from school and get ready for Halloween. This is another example where where your mind goes, recollection-wise, is different than mine. You're worried about the kids, and rightly so. That's the right place to have your concern. You're worried about our employee, who is a long-term employee. And we really, really loved him. And all I could think of was worried that that customer could tell I was I mean because I was drunk enough you were stumbling that I, and I really didn't and... feel like I could hold it together and so I was really worried that he was gonna pick up on it and just be like forget this I'm out of here and leave us with hundreds of cookies mm-hmm. that's where my my concern was yours is in a much more appropriate place but so and he's still someone that we bump into in the neighborhood very nice man yeah. I still to this day I don't know how he could not have known. Right. And he had spent time in the music industry. Like he'd been around he, plenty he of He probably knew. Before. He just didn't say That's anything because he knew I was the Friday person. You were off. So, and it being Halloween, maybe he thought it was a one off, you know? Yeah. Probably didn't, you know, think of it too much. But then, I don't know, like 
I don't remember all of it other than just being so mad seeing Red. And the cookies got packaged up. They got picked up. They're out. And then we have to... Then we've got trick-or-treating. And our daughter was either... Was she a freshman in high school or an eighth grader? Something like that, the oldest. Yeah, I'm going to... And she wanted to go watch scary movies. And then she had a friend over. And thank goodness that... I mean, unfortunately, Catherine picked up on it and asked to take the younger boys around trick-or-treating. Take the boys trick-or-treating for us. And I remember, like, trying to get you fed and sobered up and hidden. Almost. Yeah, you took me to a burger joint. God. Not like a fast food, like a... Yeah. I don't know why that matters, but it was a sit-down burger joint. Yeah. Yeah, but you ordered the line, like, you know... But I remember being, like... Was it, like, McDonald's? Pretty unconscious. Like, not just blackout. I mean, so, for definition's sake, blackout... You can be in a blackout and operate perfectly normally. You just don't have any memory of it later. I was well beyond that. I was... The blackout was coming in and out. There were things that I could remember later and things that I couldn't. It would fade in and out. But I was not functioning on a level where... I was hiding it and acting perfectly normal. No, it was apparent to everybody that was working and in the restaurant that you were hammered. And, um, but you took me there to, like you said, to sober me up and just to get me away from the kids, right? Yeah, because I went and I, I picked up food from a Chipotle that was across the street for the kids. And we went into the burger place. So you got a burger and fries, and you were like, they had just a, a bin of all these beverages that were on ice and you just grabbed a beer and you were trying to open it, but you're supposed to hand it to them and they open it and you didn't want to give them your ID. And, uh, I mean, I gave them my ID, you know, cause they had to log it in before they could make the transaction. I don't know. It was just, so tell me about your state of mind at the time. I just thought, Oh my God, I just wish he would have passed out. And I could have tied him or locked him in, tied him to the bed, locked him in a room, something. It was like you were like a monster. You were like the fear of Halloween. Like, what are you doing? You're just roaming around here like a Frankenstein, like monster, just so unaware and so like clumsy and oh. So were you? But this was after we already went to the trick or treat street at the. Place down the, you know. And I had stumbled and bumbled around that. Yeah, and you had beers at the beer garden, and my friend was there with her mom, and uh, and her son, we were meeting up because they were friends with our son, and so, I mean, it was clear that you were just, like, all day, I mean, it was clear to them, all day drinker at that point. It wasn't just, you know, so I, like, made an excuse that that the neighbor had whiskey and you drank whiskey really quick before you headed out because you wanted to be polite. And that's what really got you snockered. And... So you're in on the lying and deceit, which is very, very common. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, and he's so tired. And you're and... trying to hide how bad it was from mm-hmm. outsiders. But when we're at the burger joint and you're trying to you know, get me away from the kids. I mean, how did it feel from the standpoint that here it is, like you said, it's a kid's holiday. It's an important kid's holiday. We've got, yes, we've got our, our young teenage daughter, but we've also got younger kids that that are in their trick or treat prime. Yeah. And you're not there with them because you're trying to keep me from getting arrested or doing something awful. Uh I mean, what can you describe that? Or just awful? Well, it's just awful. And it's one of those times that I think my life would be so much better if you were not there. My life would have been so much better if you would have just disappeared a couple years before that. Did you have any room to think that in the moment? Or are you just in panic mode in the moment trying to... Oh, I thought about it because I I lived that thought often for those, especially like those last two years, because one of the years prior to this scenario, you were sober and you were just 
so, like, you were such a baby. You just couldn't, like, be an adult. You were so sad that everybody could drink. So I was like, well, you're just a piece of shit when you're drinking, and you're a piece of shit when you're not drinking. So I was in the mindset of, I just wish you were gone. So, yeah, the whole time I was like, my goodness, now my daughter is having to pick up the slack because you are wasted and I have to keep you hidden from our kids and her friend. So that was something that I was cognitively thinking as I was like being very aware of how I needed to keep you away from the kids. So let's go ahead and transition into those early sober Halloweens, whether it was, as you just mentioned, the previous attempts at sobriety when I was sober on Halloween and then started drinking again at some point further down the road, or this time around, what would be five years ago when I was sober for the first time on Halloween. I mean, I've got my perspective, but I think your perspective is more important. Your perspective is that I was... Just a depressed, sad. You said not not acting like an adult. Um, be, I assume that that's because I couldn't just recognize this is a holiday for the kids. Who cares whether you're having fun or not, Matt? Yeah. Just shut the fuck up. And yeah, yeah. Like, who cares about your pain and misery? Think about all the fucking misery that I've lived through, that the kids have lived through. God, I just was so irritated. It was even more irritating having you sober, I think, because I just thought you, as a sober adult on a kid's holiday, you can't separate your own desire and needs from anybody else's. So you were just like, you were just like, you just reminded me of Veruca Salt or Nellie Olson, all those spoiled little kids in TV shows and movies. Like, just understand your place, your role. Your role is to be the dad. It's not to be the drunk dad. It's not to be the spotlight dad. It's not meant to be all about Matt's holiday and his fun. Because I just think of so much of our life was all about your fun, your entertainment, your needs. And the reason, you know, for me... Holiday, you know, Halloween was fun was because it was about the kids trick-or-treating and their stuff. I didn't really want to go to Halloween parties that are friends that did it for an adult. Like, that's not fun for me. And, and the fact that then you would often say, you know, the kids are the most important thing in my life. You and the kids are the most important thing in my life. I just felt like you just threw that out there that statement out there just to kind of cover yourself. But your actions were totally separate from what your words were. So I just felt like, you know, yeah, well, everybody's drinking and you're not. So big deal. I've spent many of my life and days not drinking or holidays not drinking. And I'm not acting like a brat. I'm not sulking around like a spoiled child who can't get what they want. Everyone else is drinking and I'm not. That is exactly how I felt. And I was not even close to capable of saying so what about that. All I could think about is how miserable I was, how unfair it was, um, how much sacrifice I was making. It's such a selfish, selfish yeah. disease. And so every thought that crossed my mind was selfish, whether it's I'm not having as much fun as I deserve to have or I'm the one sacrificing. And and I knew, obviously, about all the details of the, the last Halloween when I did drink and how just utterly awful rock bottom bad that was. That was not my rock bottom in the sense that I stopped drinking after that. I stopped drinking a couple of months after that, but it wasn't the last time I drank. But it was, I think it was probably my worst night, my worst event. And even though my worst event had happened on that very holiday, I still wasn't able to say, you know, the sacrifice that I'm making is penance and is the very least I should be doing 
My mind just couldn't go there. All I could think about is, woe is me. And sitting over here on my side of the street, the word that you've chosen to use is sacrifice. Yeah. And it just, that is a very irritating word to hear that you had to sacrifice this. Like, what bullshit? That's what I'm thinking, and I'm sure others that are sitting on the loved one's side. Oh, what a sacrifice. You get to live your life and actually remember it. What a sacrifice that you actually get to put your money in your mouth. Words of, oh, you mean everything to me, you and the kids, into action. So it probably, probably, I'm sure you used the word sacrifice at one point during your definitely one of three that. holidays. And I, I think that may be the last time you were sober this last one five years ago. I probably could tell. Because it had been long enough that it was different. And so maybe I was more sympathetic and more able to not be mad. Because you had acted so differently than your other times at sobriety. But I'm sure that if you use those words, sacrifice, um, at the other two holidays, uh, the other two Halloweens when you were sober, I probably would have went off. Well, that's definitely what I was thinking if it wasn't what I was saying. I remember being real quiet. You were very sulky, basically. I think that you were being quiet, but I think that's why I felt like it was different in you. Because you were being quiet. You were being contemplative. You also knew that I can't say anything because I've put myself in this situation with this way this alcohol has warped and changed and taken over my body. I think that that's what made it different. And maybe that's what made it more tolerable because you weren't lamenting out loud about it woe is me i'm so sad i'm so you know because you you understood at that point that you're just gonna have to have these hard times and you were able to sit with your feelings and have those uncomfortable feelings and you didn't have to express them you didn't have to look to outside party to validate them or to comfort you you weren't because you knew i wasn't going to be there for it I think you're giving me a little more credit than I deserve. I was still in a very selfish state of mind. I just felt trapped. I didn't, I I couldn't, there were no drinking rules that were going to work. I I had quit drinking in January. So like you said, I was 10 months in. So I had, I didn't, you know, I wasn't in a good place by any means. I wasn't over any kind of hump yet emotionally, neurologically, but I just didn't see any option. Yeah. So I think I was quiet because complaining wasn't going to help brainstorming a solution to the, to the, to where I could drink. Oh, what if I only drink beer, Sherry? None none of that, which is all stuff that I had done in the past, but I had exhausted all of that. So there was nothing left. I want to, I want to comment. I don't want to, do this to make myself feel better or look better. But I think it's important. You talked about how I, you know, I had said that you and the kids were most important. And then all of my actions were to the contrary. You're a hundred percent right. I totally agree. I was very, very, very selfish, but I do want to clarify that that was not a straight up lie. There's so much, uh, cognitive dissonance in alcoholism. I really believed that you and the kids were the most important. So when I said that, it wasn't a smokescreen. I wasn't trying to cover for anything. I really believed it. And then my actions would speak the exact opposite, but I couldn't see that. I know. And I understand but, that. I'm but aware it, of it's that. It's important because not just for you to hear that, but I think for a lot of our listeners to hear that, if if your alcoholic loved one is telling you that you're the most important, they probably believe it. They're probably not just trying to... I mean, they are poisoned. Right. They're in the midst of a neurological disease. Yeah. Alcohol has taken hold and or whatever addiction that they have has taken hold and take it, hijacked their brain and they can't help it. Yeah. That's why I think maybe by this five years ago Halloween... Like, we had learned more. I mean, we had, you know, I was kind of shut out of, like, your sobriety attempts this time, but I was doing a little bit of stuff on my own, or you were sharing things, and I was 
coming around to the fact that, yeah, this was not his choice. Yeah, this was not Matt's choice to drink like this and be like this and act like this. I know the book that I read, I think I read it for the second time in early sobriety of, you know, five years ago, this, this last time around. Um, and I shared a lot of the details from was Annie Grace's This Naked Mind. And that's one of the ones that all the people that are in our Shout Sobriety group, we that's on the the assigned reading list. I think it's a really important book because it does talk about brain chemistry. And that is a book that I shared a lot of the details with mm-hmm. uh, about with you. I'd read a chapter and be just blown away by what I had learned and I'd want to come and share it with you. So I think... I think you're right. I was probably quiet and contemplative because I felt trapped. I knew there was no way out. And one of the reasons I felt trapped and knew there was no way out is because I was starting to understand the disease better. Mm-hmm. Starting Absolutely. to understand that I really, I had no other option other than sobriety. Before we leave that, this topic of early sobriety Halloweens, I want to talk about, you know, I I appreciate more than you could know how it felt for you. And I'm glad that you shared that, how it was just like, you know, shut up. This is a kid's holiday. Nobody wants to hear you sulk, but I do just want to share because I think some people might be interested in exactly what was going through my mind as it relates to the jealousy that I felt Mm -hmm. in early sobriety and Halloween. I was jealous of everyone. We would pass neighbors on the street with kids, our kids ages and, you know, often the parents would have a coffee mug in their hand. Well, I knew that coffee mug had beer or wine in it or whiskey or something. And I was jealous of those people. And, you know, I think I was probably right 75% of the time, but there were probably a few tea drinkers out there. I don't know, but it didn't matter. If somebody had a cup or a solo cup, you know, in their hand, I knew that that had alcohol in it. I was jealous. I remember, I remember which house it was. I remember just down the street from us passing a house that clearly had 20-somethings in there having a big old party. I was jealous of them. Now, had I been drinking, I would not have been invited to that party. I was 20 years older than those those people. So that wouldn't have been my scene anyway, but I was still wildly jealous of the party that was taking place that I would not have been invited to. And I was jealous of... There were a number of situations with older people, retired age people that would be like sitting on their front their front porch at like a bistro table and they'd have glasses of wine or or I, I remember one specifically a guy probably in his 60s had a tumbler of whiskey and and I remember as we walked past I could see the bottle was hidden behind the leg of the chair so this guy had set it up so he didn't even have to go in the house to get a refill he could just sit out there all night and hand out candy to kids and uh and pour his whiskey and I remember just this deep feeling of jealousy of him. Now, I was 20 years younger than him, and you know, sitting on my front porch drinking whiskey was not part of our Halloween tradition. Didn't matter. I was jealous of him. I was jealous of the 20-somethings. I was jealous of the people in our demographic. It didn't matter. Anyone who was drinking, and make no mistake about it, I'm not trying to sound like a, a you know, a whiny, I'm not trying to sound whiny or like I have a legitimate beef here because I don't. But make no mistake about it, most people are drinking on Halloween. And so Mm -hmm. the potential for feeling jealous is ever-present. So that's the my first year of sobriety, Halloween, and also what we described covered the the one-off years of sobriety that happened during my 10 years of active alcoholism. But let's, let's keep going because I think it's important for listeners to understand it gets better but it gets better gradually my second sober halloween was better than the first but it wasn't great i still wasn't able to just make it all about the kids i was still jealous of the people drinking whiskey on their front porches or the people walking around with coffee cups while they took their kids around and it it got to like a fake it till you make it kind of attitude on my part i had confidence that someday i would enjoy halloweens again but this, you know, year two or year three, I wasn't there yet. And that might really shock people. And and I might be an anomaly in this area, although I don't think I am. You might think, your third Halloween, you're still jealous of the drinkers? You haven't had anything to drink for three years? 
But here's the thing about holidays. You're, the way our subconscious mind works and our patterns change, if you are a big weekend drinker, for instance, and every week, every seven days, there's another set of Friday, Saturdays, Friday, Saturdays. They keep coming and going. 52 and so, of them. 52 of them, in fact. After some number of them, 30 of them maybe, after six months, you stop feeling sorry for yourself and being triggered by Friday and Saturday because you've developed new patterns. And your new pattern, whatever it is, doesn't involve alcohol on Friday and Saturday. And so you start to move past that. But holidays that only come around once a year, you have to go through those triggering events a number of times before they start triggering you to drink. Even though you haven't drank for three years and you haven't, you've got all these repetitions of Fridays and Saturdays where you haven't drank, you've only got one Halloween, for example, when you haven't drank when you're on Halloween number two sober. So it's still hard. And then Halloween three, you've only got two examples of a sober Halloween after 25 drunken Halloweens. So it it takes a while to get over that hump. So And this is something that I didn't understand particularly well when I was going through it, which is why I think it's important for us to talk about it so that people that might be in early sobriety or maybe they are on year two and they're like, oh, last year was terrible, but this Halloween is going to be great. I'm going to have so much fun with my kids and it's going to be all about candy and and costumes. It might not be. It might still suck for you. And don't beat yourself up if that's the case. I think a lot of the people we talk to have this kind of I don't want to call it overconfidence, but it's like a determination. Like, this is going to be fun, whether it's fun or not. And in a lot of cases, around any holiday, Halloween's just one example. If it's only the the second time around in sobriety, I got bad news. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be hard. I feel like Halloween kind of sets you up for the the season of holidays. Yeah, yeah. So you've got, you know, Thanksgiving, which there might be all this kinds of wine, and then the beer and football game, and, you know, and then the Christmas holidays, all the festivities, and... and Christmas holidays, a whole month of holidays. Yeah, so it's kind of just like a springboard to a drinking season, and I think you're right. Like, in even in year two, like you can't force it and push it, and you can't have this determination, and then be disappointed if you have feelings of uncomfortableness. Yeah. And, and sadness, and, and... Craving and jealousy. Craving, yeah, and jealousy. I mean... Like, I get jealous walking around with kids at Halloween when I see the little kids and I think about time lost. Yeah. And I get mad about that. Yeah, our kids aren't little like that anymore. And having to go drag their dad out of a bar one time or... When they were were in their prime. Yeah. So, as the loved one, you know, yeah, there's going to be painful memories and jealousy too. Yeah. And disappointment, so. Absolutely. Just have to kind of, like, honor those feelings. Yeah. Last year, COVID Halloween, I was enthusiastic. I really felt like I was over the hump. And I remember just a few days before Halloween, whoever the the decision-making power in Denver would be, the Department of Health or whoever decided that we could do trick-or-treating. And so for some unknown reason in my head, I thought it was going to be kind of a normal Halloween and it was anything but. So So I had built up in my head, I think I'm over this hump. I'm not going to be craving alcohol anymore. I'm not going to be jealous of 68-year-old overweight men sitting on their front porch drinking whiskey anymore. I'm going to have fun with our, our youngest who is still trick-or-treat you know, category. And actually our second youngest went around too. And so I was super excited about COVID Halloween. And then of course there were only 10% of the normal number of people on the street and only 10% of the doors with porch lights on. Basically uh, we got a long walk in for uh, you know, six pack of candy basically. I don't know. They, the people that were giving out the stuff, they had some good stuff. Yeah, they were probably overloading because they had so yeah. many fewer people knocking yeah. on their doors. Lots of originality in how to collect your goodie bag and the door wasn't open. So we didn't, like, encounter anybody. Like, nobody was really, like, answering the door. It was just out on a tray or out on a display. Well, it was very unfestive. Yes, it was not festive, but the loot was good. 
but the festivities were lacking. Yeah. So I had another disappointing Halloween. This one wasn't (laughs) alcohol's fault, or frankly, my fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. But so I am amped up for a good year this year. And of course, when our listeners are listening to this, it'll be right after Halloween. But I'm confident to say, Sherry, we had a great Halloween night. I just know we did. We had a very packed weekend of Halloween stuff. Yeah. Going on. We had like, a lot. We had... Dress up. Three time option. Three I know. times to dress up. Wasn't my costume awesome? Uh, I, I don't currently know what it's going to be. <laughs> you don't know what I know my costume is awesome. awesome. But the whole month has been really great we've i don't know why i've never done this before but i've really gotten into scary movies we've watched probably because we had kids that don't like scary yeah, movies and your wife nice doesn't like scary movies having older teenagers now we can watch scary movies with them and we have well and they're we've all watched... like socially desensitized now not because we over exploited them to scary movies but just the world in general i think has made them trying like... to shed a little guilt there aren't you for letting well them watch, i think uh, that society movies. has made them not very frightened of the original halloween because there's not a whole lot like i mean compare movies out now to poltergeist oh andrew and i had like the biggest talk about poltergeist and how it was so pathetic mother and i was, was like it scary enough for him not scary at all mm. the buzzing of the tv because they don't know what it's like when the tv station signs off for the night yeah. it's just that there's been a lot of static and yeah they don't get it yeah one of the halloween movies that i watched they had to get something off of tele- broadcast television and they had to get it off all three channels <laughs> all three channels have to cut this off <laughs> and that's all there were were three channels mm-hmm. so yeah scary movies uh we every year we make a spider web on the front porch and i have to say that this year's spider web Fantastic. was by far the best a lot of patience went into this year's spider web whereas in the back in the past a lot of anxiety and paranoia made the spider web be hurried and crappy so that was fun pumpkin carving in the rain on the front porch in the dark with with sharp steak knives and candles and eerie great. glow that was pretty great no question but so you know yeah is there sadness that our kids aren't little anymore absolutely but i am proud of you and thankful to you for making the best of where we are pretty soon we'll be down to just be the hand, the candy hander outers and if we walk around uh, with the trick-or-treaters will look creepy and <laughs> and stalkery. Yeah. So we'll have to just sit on our porch and wait for the kids to come to us. Yep. But, but I really appreciate you making the best of it, and I appreciate you talking about it and being honest about the things that haunt you from our Halloween's past. I'm sorry. I know you are. Thank you. Love you. Love you, too. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.